Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. I think anytime you get players that are other places, you ask them stuff. But, you know, I've been in the league a long time. You ask them stuff and you don't really. I mean, we got to take care of our business and make sure that we're prepared what we see. And if, you know, there's certain things we want to ask them, absolutely, whether it's a player or a scheme, um, you know, you, you try to uncover every stone you can. That's head coach of the New York Giants, Brian Dayball, earlier this week. The question, are you using Isaiah Simmons for inside info on the Arizona Cardinals, Steve? I think a lot of teams do that. When they bring somebody over, at least initially, you try to glean as much as you can off of them. Isaiah Simmons had a full training camp with this regime, so I assume he knows some he traded end of August, I believe, so yeah. he had some reps. I think he didn't play in that preseason game that ended that week for the Giants, I don't believe. But to your point, he's had plenty of time with them to learn he had, what was it, he had a sparse amount of snaps in their week one game against the Cowboys, which, look, that didn't go anyone's way if you're a Giants fan. or a He Giants had player. 15 snaps. That's 26%. So he played about a fourth, about a quarter of the downs for the Giants. I think defense. he had one tackle, too. So it's not it's not like he had a barn-burning performance in week one. But is that something that we got to fear here in week two? Is there motivation for Isaiah Simmons playing his former team? You know, I... Maybe for him personally, yeah, maybe a little bit. That team gave up on me. I was their first-round pick. I really thought changing positions, I was going to get more opportunities. I personally, I don't know about you guys, but I always felt like at the beginning of the season when they moved him to safety, it looked like he was going to play mostly in the secondary. Mm -hmm. I was always curious about that because while a lot of people were like, oh, yeah, maybe that'll unlock him because he played a lot of safety in college. I mean, he played all over, but he played primarily at safety. And when he came to the NFL, he became their inside linebacker. I kind of viewed it the other way. I was like, how are you going to have three of your best players on defense all play the same position? Mm -hmm. Because the way I view the Cardinals defense, especially before week one, Buda Baker's your obvious best player. I think Jalen Thompson is underrated in the league, and I think he's your second best player. Mm -hmm. They're your safeties. You're going to put another guy out at safety and play him consistently? That just didn't add up to me. I mean, do you do a 4-2-5? Do you do a 3-3-5? Is that like your everyday setup? I... It doesn't matter now. They traded him. No, it's irrelevant Probably now. for the reason we're talking about. And you, it, It's funny enough because they're probably going to have him play a lot of linebacker. And you and I talked about it a lot early on about what would be the best fit for Isaiah Simmons. What would be his best spot? And I stood up on the table and every chair that could you possibly fit on the table screaming for him to be an edge rusher because that was one where he graded the best in the limited snaps that he had last year. And two, he's a very destructive defender, meaning that if he gets an opportunity to get after the ball, he makes the most out of it. Yeah, I never bought into the pass rush. I, I, I believed more in it for Zayvon Collins than I did for Isaiah Simmons. Well, so far for Zayvon, it seems to be working. It, it, the Cardinals had a few sacks. I, actually, I think it was six sacks they had week one. I don't think Zayvon had one of them, but he got a fumble recovery. Yeah, yeah, an interception. Good like Zayvon is looking like the the one that you don't want to let get away because he's actually proving how good he can be. And this is only his second season. The thing, Third season, The sorry. thing working against Isaiah Simmons, in my opinion, it, it can be beneficial to have versatility position-wise, to be able to play safety and middle linebacker, to be able to uh, pull up on the defensive line and all of a sudden you're rushing the quarterback. It can be an advantage to you. Think of Tyron Matthew, one of the great Cardinals of our generation, mm -hmm. right? 
He was versatile. He was a cornerback in college. He played safety in the NFL. When he came off the edge as a blitzer, he was around the football all the time. He was versatile. It was a good thing. I think for Simmons, what he needs to try to avoid is, okay, this year we're going to play him at linebacker. Okay, this year we'll try him at safety. This year we'll try him at pass rusher. Eventually you get to the point where if you're not super successful at any one of those things, you're not going to stick in the league. Jack of You're all trades. You're only around because we think you can do this other thing. We just don't know yet. Jack of all trades, master right. of none. Right. It's, right. There's there's a lot of expressions that get thrown around. That's one of them. Gambo likes to use the one man's trash is another man's trash. So right. if Isaiah Simmons was only so good while he was here, how much better is he going to get away from here? Now, Hassan Reddick is an exception because they drafted Hassan Reddick, who was an edge rusher at Temple, and they moved him to the inside. He was not good on the inside. He, by injuries all over the field, had to be moved back to the outside. Turns out he was good. Turns out he was a pretty <laughs> darn good edge rusher. Whoops. Went to Carolina, bounced that into an awesome deal with Philly, and was a runner-up for Defensive Player of the Year last year. Now, like, there, yeah, oops. <laughs> there's a lot of players that are really versatile within their position group. Aaron Donald can play outside or inside. Right. J.J. Watt was the same way. Sometimes a wrecking ball can just be good from whatever angle it's coming. at. Some linebackers are great in coverage and can blitz the quarterback. They're versatile within their position group. Mm -hmm. Some safeties are great at hanging back, but they're also going to come down and they're going to hit you in the box like a cam chancellor. But not many players, or at least I can't think of any off the top of my head who were successful at playing at all three levels. Who is that player? Even the most versatile players of all time, like Deion Sanders, who we're going to talk about at some point in the show today, mm-hmm. even he was fantastic at multiple levels, but he was an offense and defense guy, not yeah. a three levels of the defense guy. I, Name another player that was ever ever had a great career playing at all three of the defensive levels. Can't think all three defensive levels. It just doesn't happen. And I'd imagine the, the far back like way early beginnings of football is where we'd have to go, where dudes were playing like five positions because only so many people played football at that time. But I just think about Micah Parsons in Dallas, who was a middle linebacker for most of his time at Penn State. He is a beast edge rusher, man. Sure. But you can trust that he can cover if he was playing middle linebacker in college. And you sure as heck know that he is a destructor in the backfield, the way he's able to get around the on the outside. It's, it poses an interesting question is what it does. Do you want Isaiah Simmons to succeed or fail? And here's the reason that I ask it that way. I'm not wanting Isaiah Simmons to fail. I never want some person to fail at their job. That's just heartless. But does it look better on the Cardinals, particularly this regime, for being willing to say, you know what? He's not going to work out the way we expected him to. He's not going to be a team player, quote-unquote, whatever. I don't want to judge his character too much. Let's just move on. We'll get what we can. And if he succeeds at the other level, then oops, we screwed up. We should have put him in a better spot. But if he fails, it justifies what this new brass did for the Cardinals. Yeah, I get where you're going. I I think any time in any sport that you make a trade, you kind of have to wash your hands of it right away. And whatever happens from there on, it happens. And as a person, like, yeah, of course you want him to succeed. I want him to be really good for the Giants. I don't want him to be particularly good this week when he's playing the Cardinals. True. Um, but that's fandom, right? That's just how it goes. Yes. Yes, I want him to be successful. I would like to see him 
become a leading member of this defense. He only played a quarter of the snaps last week. I'd like to see him earn more opportunities with a a defense that looks pretty impressive on paper, by the way. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would like for him to find a solid position, whether that's linebacker or somewhere in the secondary. I would like for him to gain some stability with his career. Yeah, absolutely. I want to see him succeed. Um, But I understand where you're coming from. You don't want the Cardinals to become synonymous with playing a guy at the wrong position and then them becoming a pro bowler elsewhere the way that Hassan Reddick did. Now, I wonder how or this... if Zayvon Collins were to leave and become a pro bowler somewhere else, you'd kind of be falling into that moniker. Right. But I'm already having more faith in this regime than I do in the prior one in terms of making sure a guy is in the right position to succeed. Because like we said, Zayvon Collins had a pretty good game last week against the commanders, not necessarily as an edge rusher, but as a defender, he had a pretty awesome game with the fumble recovery and the interception. Simmons, he said to the New York media, this is me reading a quote, I don't think we have access to the audio, but his quote is, I'm not an emotionless person, so I'm sure there will be some emotions flowing through me, but nothing that's going to affect me and make me do anything crazy. I'm not going to go out there and be like, rah, 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 so I'm not going to go out there and do that or try and make an extra play, because that's when you end up hurting yourself in the wrong long run, close quote. But should we be making a rah-rah deal out of this? No. Like, how how are Cardinals fans and how are we supposed to judge the Isaiah Simmons tenure? And are we supposed to make a big deal out of this return to the Valley? Uh, no, I'm not making a big deal out of it. I don't think you're going to see him all that much. Uh, maybe if he makes a couple of big plays, you, some people might be watching their uh, TVs and going, oh, hey, that guy, I, I seem to remember him being on the Cardinals. Um, but no, I don't think it's going to be some big deal. It's not like a former quarterback coming back. And playing the whole game and throwing for a bunch of touchdowns or, um, you know, if you made a big trade where you traded a, a real key contributor. Like when Zach Ertz went back to Philadelphia. Big deal. Of course. He won a Super Bowl there. Yeah. He's one of the greatest tight ends of the last decade. That was a big deal. Right. Isaiah Simmons coming back to the team that just dumped him after week three of the preseason. and eh, Not so much. Coming up next. Diamondbacks pushing for the postseason. How high could they get in the standings? And there's one game that could impact where they end up that's actually happening right now. We'll catch you up on it all next here on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Veraldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. The Arizona Diamondbacks currently sit in the third wild card spot. Three. A game and a half back of the Chicago Cubs for the second wild card spot. And interestingly enough, they play the Cubs this week. Again. Three more games. What this timing. time at Chase Field. So far have four wins out of five games against the Cubs. That's yeah. pretty awesome. Yeah, and an opportunity. I mean, imagine if you sweep that series, then you overtake the Cubs. Mm-hmm. You win two of the three, then you at least get yourself pretty darn close. And you're competing against three other ball clubs for that third wild card spot. Right. Cincinnati, currently tied with the Diamondbacks. Miami, they're a half game back. And San Francisco, one game back. Who, by the way, sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Top four, tied three in their first of a doubleheader today, the Giants and the Rockies. Hmm. So that's one to keep an eye on because the Giants have that half game extra separation. I think they're, what is it, they're one and a half back right now? Or they're one back? San Francisco? Yeah. Of the third wild card, they're one game back. Okay, so if they win today, they'll gain a half. And then they've got another game tonight against the Rockies. So something yeah. to keep an eye on there. And of those three, my understanding is that currently all three of those teams have the tiebreaker over the Diamondbacks. That's the Reds, the 
Marlins, who they don't play again this year. And then San Francisco, you have two games against this week. Mm-hmm. So if you win both of those, Arizona then has the double, uh, the tiebreaker. I believe the hierarchy is Giants over everybody, and then Reds, and then Marlins, and then Diamondbacks. Which like, doesn't bode well for the Diamondbacks if you're going to slump their way through the rest of this season, especially against, to our point, the Cubs, which you got this weekend, the Giants, who you've got next, and then the Yankees, who are, are they out of it? I don't know. The White Sox are definitely yeah, out, out of it. it. And the Astros are actually in a heated divisional race where there's them, Seattle, and Texas are only separated by a couple of games. So those games are going to matter to them, too. Yeah, the AL is much, it, it's not as open. So you've got your three wild cards, right? Tampa Bay, they have 92 wins in their oh wild card team. That's insane. Texas, 82 wins. Seattle, 81 wins. And then Toronto, 81 wins. They're half a game back of Seattle. After that, you got to go six more games down to get to the Yankees, who are battling with the Red Sox for last place in their own division. So, wow, yeah, the AL is pretty well figured out, but Toronto might slip in there somewhere. Um, but yeah, the Diamondbacks are in position, especially this week with the games against the Cubs and the Giants, to put themselves in good position because their schedule is so weird at mm-hmm. the end of the year, Mitch. They play nine games to end the season against American League teams. Yeah. I mean... Teams that don't directly impact their race. The Yankees, the White Sox, and the Astros. Now we- you're hoping, you're hoping that the Astros pull so far ahead in the next week or two that they have nothing to play for. That they can just rest and they can ease back from their pitching. So you hopefully don't have to face Framber Valdez. Or right. you don't have to... Maybe they'll bench some of their prime guys like Alex Bregman or Jose Altuve yeah. and rest up for the playoffs. And you can hopefully squeak out a couple easy wins at the end of the year. It's interesting, too, because the Giants have seven left against the Dodgers, if I'm not mistaken. So those games, they don't matter to the Dodgers all that much. I think they clinched... No, they haven't clinched the division yet, but they're they're well on their way. They're eighty nine and fifty seven. They won again last night. Like they're they're coasting. But for the Giants to have that kind of a slate to close out the season, that has to favor the Diamondbacks at least some, right? Yeah, that's tough. That's tough. I mean, the Diamondbacks only have two division games left, right? It's just the Giants. Cincinnati. They're playing the Mets right now. I'm pulling up their schedule slowly. And then Miami's the other one you got to worry about. And the Cubs, too. The Cubs, if, if they get swept in this series against the Diamondbacks, the Diamondbacks are now the two seed in the NL wildcard race. And you think about the remaining schedules for all these teams, it's like, well, okay, well, who's got the easier down the stretch? The Reds, after the Mets, they come back home and they host the Twins, who are probably going to win the division in the AL Central, then the Pirates, and then they go on the road to close the year against the Guardians, and then the Cardinals, who could easily play spoiler in the division. After Miami's done with Atlanta, they won last night, by the way. Big win for Miami. They host the Mets and the Brewers. And then they go on the road and face the Mets and the Pirates. And then the Cubs, when they're done with the Diamondbacks, they go home, host the Pirates, the Rockies, and then the Braves and the Brewers to close out the year. It's going to be a literal fight to the finish. Yeah, down to the wire. Which is fantastic for baseball, might I add. And it'll be really interesting because then that keeps Diamondbacks fans engaged all the way to the very end, unless somehow they slip on black ice or something. You texted me something last night that I'd like to address. Oh, no, not that one, Mitch. Oh, I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) You said to me, I'm obsessed with Gabby Moreno might be the best trade that Mike Hazen has made with the D-backs. And then I think, uh, I don't know where it is here, but I think you said he's your MVP of the season, right? Sneaky. Sneaky MVP? 
let's get one thing out of the way. Well, two things out of the way. One, I concede. Enjoy your lunch whenever we get to it. Gabby oh. Moreno's not going to get to 20 home runs. We made year. that bet at the beginning of the season. You yeah, bet me he would hit 20 homers. What's one he my, at? One of my bolder predictions, he's at seven. Yeah, he's not getting to 20. He's only played 93 games, though, I think. So seven to 93, that's pretty good. He's I been, think that was just your misunderstanding of his type of power. Like, he is a good hitter. He's a good hitting catcher. Had four hits last night. First a, time in his career. He's a line drive hitter. Yeah. He's a doubles hitter. He's not a home run guy. Yeah. That was something that I recognized pretty early, but though. It's, but it's funny because his bat is super-duper valuable to this lineup, isn't it? it? Is. Yeah, it is. Putting him at the bottom of the order, helping him you know, back up what's been, for the most part, like Lord Escariel Jr. or Alec Thomas in that middle part of the order. But if you're handing out an MVP award today... For the Arizona Diamondbacks. For specifically the Diamondbacks. You're giving it to Gabby Moreno? I'm giving it to Corbin Carroll. I'm not I'm not blind. So you lied to me in your text last no, night. No, 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 no. You misread my text last <laughs> oh, night. Yeah, I, want I expect to, that. I want to emphasize how massively great of a trade this was that Mike Hazen made. Yeah. And that's not to say that, oh, they won it far. I, I, I hate the discussion about who won and who lost the trade. Because Mike Hazen has made some great trades. J.D. Martinez, that was an awesome trade. Right. That was a ridiculous two months of baseball that J.D. Martinez He's put the best player in, in baseball. The reason why I think the Moreno one is better, or his best so far, Martinez left in the offseason. Yeah, it was a rental. So as much as Martinez really contributed to a postseason push, and it ultimately led to nothing, and the Diamondbacks didn't really end up giving up all that much to get Martinez, it didn't really result in anything beyond just those two months of baseball. Gabby's going to be here for a while. And Gabby's going to be really good here for a while. I was doing some digging because it's one thing to look at a dude's offensive numbers, but I don't think enough can be said about how good he is defensively. I had to shrink the sample size, however, because Gabby hasn't played enough games. So minimum 700 innings played. He has 17 defensive runs. That's sixth most in Major League Baseball and most by any catcher. And the next closest is Will Smith with 10. I wonder if he'll get gold glove consideration. I think he should, but I don't know if he qualifies because he hasn't played nearly enough games because of injury and stuff like that. Splitting time. But again, Hmm. 17 defensive runs saved in 91 games. The most is Fernando Tatis Jr., who's got 27 in 122. By the way, he's a rookie. Yeah. Now starting it to catchers, minimum 700 innings. He's caught 21 base stealers and allowed 30. So I think that's 40% caught stealing percentage. That's really good. The most caught steals this season goes to Shea Langoliers, who has 36. But he also did that in 113 games. Yeah, he's playing every day. Gabby has caught more base runners at a better rate than almost every catcher in baseball this year. It cannot be overstated how valuable he's been to the Diamondbacks especially for a pitching rotation that has been, outside of two guys, really suspect this entire year. And what's the best way to anchor a very suspect rotation? A really darn good catcher. Yeah. And I think Mike Hazen got that. They play a role in all three assets, uh, aspects, I should say, of the game. Offense, defense, and pitching. Yep. They do all three because they handle your pitching staff. Uh, Gabby Moreno, I mean, in a lot of ways, I think you're right. This team is going to go as far as Gabby Moreno allows them to go. Um, is he going to be their best, most talented player on the team at any point in time? Probably not. Not while Corbin Carroll's around offensively. Not while Zach Gallen is around. He's a Cy Young candidate on a good year. I think I think um, Gabby's easily top five 
most valuable player on this team. Here's where I'll agree with you. He is the MVP. He's the most valuable position. And that's what makes that trade so immaculate. And the fact that you compare, like, go back to what you said earlier about Isaiah Simmons, right? Do you mm-hmm. do you kind of want him to not succeed because you traded him away and you don't want him to get good when you trade him away? Think about it in context of Dalton Varsho, a player who was, without a doubt, one of the two best players on the Diamondbacks last season. And a really damn good defender, too. Uh, incredible defender. And as far as hitting, I mean, he had 27 home runs last year. Look at this season. His first year in Toronto Not so at age great. 26. Not so He's great. He's 217. His on base is only 285. An OPS plus of 79. 100 is average. He's a 79. Dalton Varsho is having a down year. And honestly, I'm not going to say that I predicted this. I didn't think he would be great. Last year, he hit 235. That's not didn't special. Didn't think he would be anemic at the plate this uh, year. But he's exactly what Toronto wanted. They wanted a left-handed bat. They needed a great outfielder. They got that. But the Diamondbacks got five or six years of Gabby Moreno, who appears to be not only a good 270 to 280 hitter, but a possible gold glover behind the plate and can handle a pitching staff. Which is why. And that's invaluable. Which is why it's the best trade that Hazen's made. Better than JD and even better than the Cattell trade. I think this Gabby Moreno trade is going to go down as the best move that Mike Hazen's made. Mike Hazen's really good at acquiring players. Not so, so much a. Not very good at things. selling guys off. At least <laughs> not so tough. far. Coming up next. Is this week's game for the Arizona Cardinals their last chance at a win for uh, maybe a month? We're going to dive into that next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports. Breaking news. Well, we talked about it earlier in the show. What's the quarterback or is there a quarterback controversy we should say? Well, maybe we have an answer from our own John Gambadoro. Freshman quarterback Jaden Rashada will not play Saturday, dealing with an undisclosed injury. And the expectation is that Trenton Borgay and Drew Pine are expected to split time under center for ASU tonight. Okay, so earlier I had predicted that you might see Rashada for part of the game and Drew Pine for part of the game. It sounds like that may be the plan. It's just that now Rashada is hurt, and instead of him, it'll be Borgay. Yes. Interesting. This is... This is multiple places, too. I saw Tim Ring had put it out there that he expects Borgay to be the starter. Chris Cartman, who does a great job at Sun Devil Source, uh, says that Borgay and Pine will each play at least two series early in the game, and Borgay is going to start in this one. This is fascinating now. That's now, th- and we meant to bring this up earlier, and I'm kicking myself for not bringing it up. Jalen Conyers, your starting tight end, is out with an undisclosed injury. DeCarlos Brooks, who's part of the one-two punch with Cam, Cam Scadaboo with the running back room, He's out, undisclosed injury, and now Rashada, undisclosed injury. More of a three-man race for quarterback than I realized. And on I kind of thought Borgay was out of the conversation. And on top of all that, no Ben Coleman on the offensive line, and then Emmett Boley, your starting right tackle, I believe, out for the year with a broken leg. It just continues to bite this program right now. Yeah, this Injuries team is, are killing them. This team's kind of in shambles. I mean, I, I don't want to, like pretend like the sky is falling you're in week three you've got a lot of football ahead of you a lot of stuff to prove as a team but we're in week three and they're still trying to figure out which of their three quarterbacks is going to be the guy that's still a question mark I think they would have loved to have known the answer to that by now yeah but here we are Borgay and and, uh, Pine are going to get their first action of the season tonight 
We haven't seen either of them yet. Well, so Borgay, we have some familiarity with. Yeah, no, at of course. least more than Pine, but not with Kenny Dillingham. We haven't. Done. Pine also played with Notre Dame, so he's playing for a top ten program perennially. He's playing for a team that has had historically a pretty solid offense, and he had to. He came in as an injury replacement for Notre Dame. I don't remember who their starter was last year, but he obviously knew he wasn't going to get the opportunity again with uh, the Fighting Irish this year. So he comes to ASU, he looks pretty solid in camp, and now this is an opportunity for Pine to prove his worth, basically, and prove that he could be the guy. He still has eligibility after this year. So maybe he becomes the number one option for ASU after this is all said and done. But again, to reiterate the news, it will be no Jaden Rashada tonight, out with an undisclosed injury. Trenton Borgay, Drew Pine expected, expected to split time with Borgay as the starter tonight for ASU. Was the Rashada injury known? I don't know. It's undisclosed. What, what, like, did we know about that in the previous days? Was he not practicing? I mean, I don't want to keep assuming, but maybe it was something in the game. Maybe it was something with practice. Color me a skeptic. Okay. I'm just playing this out in my Do mind. Do your skepticism. Did the team or the coaching staff go to Rashada and say, listen, we're going to play Drew Pine? Mm. And Rashada... Not liking that. I'm not saying this is the kind of person he is, but, I mean, he did kind of ditch the Florida commitment. Uh, is this a legit injury? I, I don't know. I don't like to I don't like to question people when they're injured, but, I mean, well, here so, we are so in the situation where, I don't know, my first instinct was like, I didn't even know about this. As, if I recall correctly. Anything can happen, though. I, if I recall correctly, you're not allowed to report specifics on injuries, but... You know, every, everything that's been announced has been undisclosed. They don't they don't want to share the the kids' medical information. Of course, right? yeah, I get that. So I think a big part of it is they don't want to put the kid through any stress or pressure of like, oh, it turns out this, blah, 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 blah. Now, Emmett Boley, the exception, broken leg. I mean, that was clear to a lot of people. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, you want him to recover just fine. But that's now three undisclosed injuries for this ASU team. I guess I'm. It just surprised me. I, it came kind of felt like it came out of nowhere, like we weren't really prepared for Rashada to be out. I expected maybe there was a chance Pine would play, but I didn't expect Rashada to be out. And if he is dealing with a, with a significant enough injury, uh, when he is ready to come back, now all of a sudden there is a true three man race for the quarterback battle. Yeah, which is not something you see in college football. All that it's kind of like we're starting over. We knew they had that going into training <laughs> camp, but you would have thought they'd have that figured out by now. But injuries for multiple quarterbacks have put them in this predicament. Can anything worse go for this ASU program this year right now? There's not a lot of continuity. No. it's It makes it tough. Wanted to pass along that breaking news. Um, again, I'll reiterate, Jaden Rashada for ASU out. Undisclosed injury. Trenton Borgay, Drew Pine expected to split time under center. Borgay expected to get the first go. I hope Rashada's okay. I hope so, too. Because if he's the future of the program, you want him to be as healthy as possible. And you also want him to stay. You don't want him to go anywhere. Yeah, he's had some really good moments. The tease that you said going into the break. Is this the last opportunity that the Cardinals are going to have a win, at a win for weeks? And we do mean weeks. Because if you look at the Cardinals' schedule, Steve, you got the Giants this weekend. But then after that, pick the win out of these just next five games. I'll just give you the next five. Pick the win if there is one. Okay. Home against the Cowboys. Uh, they just put up a 40 
Burger on the Giants. On the road against the 49ers. A lot of people are picking them to go to the Super Bowl. Home against the Bengals. They went to a Super Bowl. First divisional matchup, or second divisional matchup, excuse me, on the road against the Rams. Maybe? And on the road against the Seahawks. Maybe. Where's the win? Probably, I mean, those next three games are just brutal. Awful. Well, awful in terms of scheduling, timing. And two of them are home games. And Cincinnati did kind of look not great. But are we really going to believe that that's, that's who Cincinnati is? They'll have it figured out by then. They'll have had four games under their belt. Like at, Let, let me put it this way. Them. If we're over-judging week one, or if we're over-analyzing week one, I am more inclined to believe that the Giants are who they are that they showed us in week one than the Bengals are who they are that they showed us in week one. I think Does that make sense? Yeah, I think your next good chance at a win might be that game at the Rams. They've been dealing with a lot of injury issues of their own. Mm-hmm. Um, but is Cooper Cup back by then? I don't know the answer to that. Uh, how much better does that make them? Yeah, the Rams in L.A. is still tough, though, on October 15th. And playing in Seattle is always hard, so I don't want to say October 22nd. Honestly, maybe you're looking at October 29th, my birthday, uh, against Baltimore. Shout out. Shout out my birthday. <laughs> uh, <laughs> who shouts out their own birthday? Who does that? You did that. This well, guy named Steve. Technically, yeah. you shouted birth. You shouted out my birthday, but I followed. When along. did when did I shout? You uh, said shout out. I literally said shout out. Yeah, you're um, Cleveland. I to the tape again. I mean, the really like the best bet you have to win is November twelfth and nineteenth. Falcons and Texans. But that is again, so that's far two away. Months. That's two months. That's so far away. Uh, could you imagine having to sit through t- like eight more weeks of football without wins? Oh, I don't want to pretend like the Cardinals can't win tomorrow, by the way. That's what they, that's what we mean. They definitely can. Is that if they don't get it this weekend, they might not get it for two months. Like if I'm picking if I'm betting money line, I'm probably taking the I'm probably taking the Giants uh, just based on getting, I think they're better than the zero they put up against the Cowboys. They're getting four points. The Giants are this. weekend. OK. OK. I thought it'd be about a touchdown. So All but right. usually that's that's what uh, one of my favorite podcasters, he calls the Vegas zone. Because if it's at the four or the five, Vegas has no idea what to do. Yeah, listen, are you beating Dallas? No. Are you beating San Francisco? No. Are you beating Cincinnati? Probably not. Um, so, All yeah. those teams seem better than the Cardinals on paper. So none of them give me hope as, or reason to believe, I should say, that the Cardinals are going to make the most of that opportunity. Your next decent chance to win is October 15th against the Rams. Could you imagine having to wait that long for a win? I mean, granted, the yeah. Card- I mean, they've done it before. Granted, the Cardinals last year only had three wins. They at least got them out. Last season, they at least got them out of the way early. Yeah. No, you're talking about can you wait that long for a first win of the yeah. season? Yeah. No, sorry, be, that's what I mean. It would be painful. It would be really painful, man. And a lot of Cardinals fans would jump ship by then if they yeah. haven't already. Yeah. I can't I'm just trying to play it straight. I mean, it, it's. I mean, when look, you start a season that way, it, first of all, we all know the statistics, right? About if you go zero and two, and how detrimental that can be to your playoff chances. It's not impossible, but being zero and two just really hurts. Imagine being zero and six. <laughs> You're really not making the playoffs. Not that I expected the Cardinals to make the playoffs. Well, I mean, look, nobody expected the Seahawks to do much last year after they traded Russell Wilson and they lit the world on fire. What's more interesting to me is let's say we get to October 15th against the Rams and you don't have any wins yet. And now you're starting to get into that week seven, eight, nine, ten 10 uh, territory where possibly you might get your quarterback back. And now we're in, falling into that scenario that I pitched to you a couple weeks ago. That's of true. What happens if Kyler Murray's ready to go, but the team is awful and... 
they don't want to rush him back. Does that create some sort of rift between team and quarterback? Right. And then you have a very interesting storyline, but that also increases your chance of winning, putting Kyler Murray back on the field. Coming up next, hope to catch up with Phoenix Rising FC President Bobby Dooley. They're in a playoff hunt right now, really fighting for a top four spot. Maybe they can get it. We'll chat with him next. And then if we have time, have you ever been pissed off by someone's comment about sunglasses? We'll try to explain next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. That's us, Mitch and Steve. Final segment here on this edition of Arizona Sports Saturday. And then don't go anywhere because you got an hour of One Last Thought with Eric Ruby coming up right after us. And then even later tonight, you've got Diamondbacks baseball against the Cubs. You've got ASU football taking on Fresno State. And you have Phoenix Rising FC in another big matchup tonight against Detroit FC, I believe it is. So joining us right now is the president of Phoenix Rising FC, Bobby Dooley, here on the Arizona Sports Line. Bobby, I'm Mitch. This is Steve. I think we've talked in the past before, but if not, hello. Nice to meet you. And how are things going with Phoenix Rising? Thanks for having me, gentlemen. Things are going well. Um, we uh, we had a big off season, a lot of changes, and we're on the final home stretch right now. And the the team is starting to come together. And and uh, you know we have some guys that are sitting at the top the the, the leaderboard on on goals scored. Um, we have a chance if if we win tonight to get in the top four, which means hosting a playoff game here. So. Six games left, four at home, two on the road, um, all big games, and, and everything's there in the front of us to, uh, to potentially have a home playoff game here. So we're also watching very closely this Diamondbacks and a wild card race and how tight it is in those standings. And I was looking at the Western Conference standings earlier, and you're two points ahead of Colorado Springs. You're a point behind San Diego, so it's about as tight as tight can get with only six matches left in the year. What is it like from your perspective seeing it all go down? It's great. I mean, uh, obviously, uh, every moment, um, you know, matters. So we have to take it one game at a time. I know that sounds cliche, but, but that's what we're focused on at the moment. And, and it's always good to uh, to have the, you know, out of the six remaining home uh, matches left, we got four at home. So that's certainly helpful. So we got to take it one game at a time. It's a big game. Detroit came off a big victory last week. They're in the Eastern Conference. They're fighting for, uh, for a playoff, um, you know, spot as well. So, we know it's going to be intense. Um, our guys have, have responded well recently and, and are, I think are, are starting to find their groove. And, and hopefully we can score early and get the fans behind us tonight and, uh, and ride the momentum to three points. Bobby, I know your team's been around in the Valley for a while now, but this year you guys got a new address. You've got a new stadium that opened this year. It, uh, see, I know that you guys have been in the Tempe, Scottsdale area before. You've been in the South Valley before. What makes this new place the place to be in the Valley? Yeah, it's uh, it's been it's been a lot these last uh, six seasons now in our seventh and in, in our seventh in a new spot in, in Central Phoenix and and we're really happy with the location. Of course, there's never going to be a perfect spot that accommodates you know the valley so vast and spread out. Uh, but to be in the middle of town where you know it's within 20 25 minutes of all parts of the valley to have that access to the light rail that our fans can take uh, with a ticket to our match, they can ride that for free. Um, so it's it's the central location of it has, has been fantastic, and you know, you guys, families can come out, uh, everyone can come out, and and you know, go downtown, you know, whether that be Tempe or Phoenix, jump on the light rail, and, and within five ten minutes they can be right at our match. So the weather 
is going to start cooling down. It should be beautiful this evening. I know it's a little warm today, but uh, we, we don't mind that here in Phoenix, especially when we've got a team coming from the East Coast where right. the three-hour time difference and the weather's a little cooler in Detroit right now than it is in Phoenix, and, and hopefully we can use that to our advantage. But, but it should be a beautiful evening for our fans, and, and we're excited to get out there tonight. Bobby Dooley, president of Phoenix Rising FC, joining us here on Arizona Sports Saturday. That's a 7.30 first kick match tonight against Detroit City FC. Bobby, this location in particular, what benefit? you already talked about the benefits, so is it a location that you want to stay at again next year and the years ahead for Phoenix Rising? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you touch upon um, the fact that we've we've had a few different homes, and, and fortunately we got such a committed ownership group, and We've been dealt some some curveballs uh, to give a baseball, um, you know, pun here. Um, but our our ownership's always stepped up to the plate and, and are ready to keep delivering. And, and fortunate to partner with the city of Phoenix and 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 uh, and the airport here. And, and it's somewhere we're really excited to be, and somewhere where we uh, we're spreading our roots and, and plan to be for a long time. Hey, Bobby, I see that uh, in a couple of days you got $1 beer night coming up. Ooh. I grew up in Cleveland where Dime a Beer Night did not go very well. <laughs> so how does $1 beer night go over with the fans? <laughs> Dime a Beer Night. I, you're giving our fans some ideas now. I, I don't know. I <laughs> well, that was decades ago, Bobby. <laughs> decades ago. <laughs> uh, dollar Beer Night is something we, we started years ago, and, and uh, we had a lot of success. We went on our 20-game win streak uh, in the midst of our Dollar Beer Nights, and we've been unable to do that in the, the last couple of seasons. And it's something we brought back this year and something we've been excited about. And, yeah, next Wednesday we, we have a Dollar Beer Night, and, and they're always fun. It's, it's always unpredictable what, that, what happens on the field those nights, and, and our fans are pretty well-behaved, but uh, certainly excited about ha- bringing the Dollar Beer Night back this year. You know, amongst other things with the location, great partnership with the City of Phoenix, the light rail access, the central nature of the site, and, and be able to be in far more control in some of the food and beverage specials like Dollar Beer Night that we have coming up next Wednesday. Last one here for uh, President of Phoenix Rising FC, Bobby Dooley. I want to ask you about Juan and his role as manager now, this being his second season. What was it about Juan that intrigued you when you first hired him, and what do you think of his job so far now in his second year? Yeah, we were fortunate. Juan was an assistant coach for us a couple years ago, and then then he left and and went up to be a head coach in Oakland and uh, came back. Uh, I guess it's been a little over a year now he's been in the head coach seat for us. And, and Juan's a fantastic person, first and foremost. Um, he's someone the team really rallies around. He has a strong conviction in how he wants to play. And, uh, and, and it's not easy. It's a, it's a really challenging. Um, it takes a lot of intelligence, a lot of technical ability, uh, which is challenging when you ha- you're going to different time zones, when you're playing on different surfaces. Um, so really, it's a style of play that suits us at home and, and a style of play that, uh, that I think is very attractive for our fans. So he's someone that... Uh, can motivate the team, can push the team. Um, I think uh, he, he's brought – we have players from 15 different countries on the roster right now. I think we have 22 players on the roster. So that's a big overhaul. It was a big task. And, and uh, obviously there's been some highs, there's been some lows. And, and Juan, I think, has is, is remained pretty even keel. He doesn't get too high. He doesn't get too low in, in the moments. And I think that's the type of person you need when, when there's so many changes and you're trying to implement some new, new ideas. And so, um, you know, just someone that, that I enjoy personally to go to work with every day uh, and someone that, uh, that I can challenge, that he can challenge us as an organization, and, and, and we're continually trying to get better. So um, he's young in his career, uh, but he's someone that the, the, the team and the players, the locker room has a lot of respect for, 
and someone I know that guys are going to go out and fight until the very end and, and someone that the fans in the city of Phoenix can be proud of. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much again for the time, Bobby. I know you got to get ready for tonight's match, and we'll be rooting for you from afar. Thanks again for taking some time for us. Thanks, gentlemen. No problem. That's Bobby Dooley, president of Phoenix Rising FC. Again, they got a match tonight that starts at 7.30 against Detroit City FC. We're running out of time here, Steve, so we'll just wrap up with this. Do not piss off Deion Sanders. <laughs> do not do it. It doesn't matter if it's sunglasses or hat or just the shirt that he wears. Do not piss off Deion Sanders because he will rub it in your face. Don't let him win. Don't let him win. They're coming. I think Mitch just about covered it. My brother's ecstatic, by the way. He doesn't see you. We're out of here. Eric Ruby's next.